Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze. And today I've got Mr. Rob Decker back with us. Um, he is a trainer. We actually got his testimony, and we'll be linking that up in the show notes. He was on a previous podcast with us, and uh, his testimony is really, really neat. I, I really re- I recall it very clearly. But before we get to him, housekeeping issues. Hey, uh, Unresolved News, it's up, it's live, and by the time you have this up, I will actually have a interview, or not an interview, but a blog post that deals with the occult and a satanic clothing line for kids. Say what? Well, you're going to have to go there to read more about that one. So just go to unresolved.news and it should be linked right up for you. So just, you know, um, and I've got a bunch of other articles for you to read as well. As far as the podcast, I'm actually rethinking some things uh, coming this January. I've got some plans, but I'm kind of, I would also ask you guys, for those of you that are prayer warriors and believe in the power of prayer, please pray for wisdom. I really need it. Um, I've got a lot of things coming, but I need to know what to do and when. So with that, enough of my my meanderings. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. Well, you are welcome. You actually approached us and said you wanted to come back on and talk about a subject that, in hindsight, is very, very touchy when you're talking about, quote, spiritual abuse. When we talk about that, in the church, that's a subject that where it may happen, but no one talks about it. Why do you think it happens, and what are some of the symptoms of it? Well, it happens because the devil is real, and you know if he's going to attack anything, attack the house of God. Why go to bars? Why do go, why go to clubs? Let's go to the church. Let's let's infiltrate where the gospel is being preached and where a place where we're supposed to fellowship and, and, and edify each other. Like that's the place to attack. He's very sneaky. He's very deceptive. And, and we know that through scripture, um, he knows to find his, how to find his way into the, into the establishment of the church. Before we actually get into your story, uh, from your experience, what are some of the symptoms that someone might be dealing with some spiritual abuse? Well, I mean, you're going to deal with, um, you know, insecurities and, and depression, and you're going to question a lot of things. You're not going to have peace in your spirit, you know, when these things go on. I mean, a lot of times um, the way that we act emotionally is triggered by what goes on spiritually. You know, normally when you have great peace about something, there's not going to be any type of negative emotion toward it. But if you're talking about spiritual abuse, you're talking about the actions of others. And almost like I'm reminded of that uh, scripture where Christ said the kings and the rulers, they lord over each other, but it should not be so with you. Right. We, we should have that peace. But, you know, unfortunately, too, we go into places like church and, and, you know, we hold the pastors and the worship leaders and folks that work with some type of title or position and we hold them on a higher pedestal. We should hold them to a higher standard for sure, because with much is given, you know, much is expected. And so we expect a lot from those people that have those titles and those positions. I think that's a key. 
we should hold them to a higher standard, but not to a higher pedestal. We shouldn't place them above because, I mean, they're people. So how did you come face to face with uh, uh, someone engaging in, in spiritual abuse? And what did that look like for you? Oh, man, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> so for me, what unfolded was, you know, when I initially, you know, from my previous testimony, the suicide attempt and everything, and eventually I got in, I got into church. And when I got to this church, I shared my story with the church. And um, I think it was roughly about Thanksgiving. Uh, they aired my, my, my testimony on the big screen in the church. And, you know, it was there for like all four services. And it was a really big church. A lot of people got to see this. And, and I remember after one of the services, this gentleman comes up to me and he's like, I mean, he's bawling his eyes out. He's just like very sensitive to what he just saw. And he introduces himself to me. And he was a worship leader within that church, someone that that church held very high. And I'm not going to lie, man. He had an amazing voice. This this man could sing. And I could see why he, he sang in the church. And, and him and I became friends. And, you know, initially for the first couple of years, he occasionally like take me out to lunch you know, take me out to eat or whatever, or buy me a gift and just like simple stuff, you know, um, I just thought it, it was all coming from the kindness, kindness of his heart. And as time went on, you know, I was going through my, my healing process. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Cause I, I, I was getting off a of disability, the actual income of disability. I had to move. He kind of knew what was going on with my life at the time. <clears throat> and what happened was, is I went from one place and he helped me move into another place. And he actually had somebody come in and fix it up and paint it. And, and it was like, it was, I was so grateful for that. It was very huge. Um, a few months had gone by. I get a phone call from him and he's telling me how his, his wife left him for a personal trainer and he has the kids. She left the kids with him. And um, I was in a place where uh, they just cut some of my disability. So I could no longer live where I was living. And he knew this because I shared this with him. And so he invited me into his home. He's just like, Hey, come into my home, help me out with the kids. I really need your help. And I was like, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. And so I move into his home. Very first night I'm, I'm, I'm there in his home. I was still drinking. I was still struggling with, with alcohol. I was very young in my relationship with Christ and alcohol was still a struggle for me. And apparently it was for him as well. <laughs> and so the first night I was in the house with him, he gets me to drink with him and we get to goofing off and start wrestling. Well, in the midst of the wrestling, he made a maneuver that was very uncomfortable to me. And I just kind of stopped what was going on and I shook it off. Like, you know, that's the alcohol. That's just us goofing off. Like, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But the more time I spent in the house, I started to see and hear certain things. He started to like say certain things that were very suspicious to me. And I started getting this understanding of like, if I'm catching this now being here so short term, like I can't imagine what his wife had been seeing and understanding in their relationship. As time went on, he would start making like these, these passes toward me. Um, he would say these things that, that would really bother me. And uh, it got to the place where I just couldn't even drink the guy anymore because I was really concerned. I had no idea what he was capable of while we were both really intoxicated. And I remember one night 
I told him I wasn't going to drink. He got really upset. He wanted me to drink with him. And I, I, I fell into it. I started drinking with him. And then he tried to make an advance toward me. I went straight to the room. Now, wait, hang on. Let's, let's pause here. Let me ask you this. Was he a completely different person at the church than he was at home? Well, yeah. Well, he was a friendly guy. It's just that no one saw the, his, his deeper issues and his struggles. And, mm-hmm. you know, at church, he, he was the guy that sang. So right? he kept he was, at, at the church. From what I understood, from what I understand, that's what it was to me because the guy that I met at church was a different guy, right? Um, I know that we all got our crap, right? But his stuff was just a little bit different for me. Okay. I just, I just want to lay that groundwork because what, what, what we're talking about here is he was putting on a mask, essentially, for others while at home. He was revealing what was really going on. So go ahead and continue. I remember going to bed that night and like, and, and the next day I didn't even want to come out of my room. Like I just, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable around him anymore. But at the same time, like I really had nowhere to go either, you know, and I know he sensed it. And um, he came to me one day and he was like, well, I'm bringing somebody else into the house to help watch the kids. Cause apparently like my interactions with them weren't enough and I'm going to move you down into the basement. And I'm just like, come on, man, you can't just move me down to the basement. Like, you know, and uh, that was the thing. He's just like, I'm moving you down the basement. And I, I, I disagreed with that. I'm like, you know, I appreciated him giving me somewhere to, to rest my head, but like you're throwing me in. And the thing was, it was, if he hadn't done all the stuff that he was doing and he asked me to go to the basement, that would be something else, I guess. Um, but because of his actions, I just felt like <laughs> he was just, it was just a total power and control situation. Right. Was he, was he almost dictating to you the terms of the arrangement essentially? Well, yeah. I mean, initially it was, Hey, come in. You don't have to pay anything. I got you. Food is covered. You know, just, play with the kids, hang out with the kids, talk to the kids, help them with their homework type stuff. And, you know, I did some of that, but he, he did it as well. But the thing is, is because of all the other stuff, it was even hard to get engaged in those situations. You know, I wasn't always comfortable. I didn't always want to be home uh, because he was pretty much in ministry. That was his job. You know, he had his own hours really. So he was there a lot, you know, so I'd have to see him a lot. So I try to spend a lot of times, a lot of time outside of the house. I remember one afternoon, I come home and I see all my stuff on the front lawn and I walk in the house and I'm with my buddy, a brother in Christ. And, and I'm with my buddy, Brad. And we, we, we walk in the house and the man and his friend are speaking in tongues while listening to worship music. Well, there was nothing godly about what they were doing. It was very, very dark and it was very demonic. The whole speaking in tongues with the music playing and kind of the dancing and the prancing around that they were doing. It was like very, it almost seemed more like a, a seance or very satanic. So almost like a twilight language because that's the, in the occult. That's um, what they call that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, if that's what that was, and it just, it was not easy on the spirit. And, and so he had kicked me out of the house. He kicked me out of the house for not giving into him, I guess. And so after that, like, there was times where yeah, I really wanted to forgive him because I'm like, Lord, I know that you want me to forgive this guy. And I was no longer in the house. And so I tried to maintain a relationship with him, sort of. And I was still praying for the guy because at the end of the day, like God had given him this beautiful voice. At least I believe it was God that gave him this beautiful voice. And 
his voice could change a lot of people. And he had three kids, like, and I was really close to his, his oldest son. And so I really, you know, I prayed for him and the family and, you know, for his marriage to eventually work out and for him to get delivered from uh, whatever demons he was dealing with. And years went by, I'm, five, six years went by and I, I get a phone call and I'm told that this gentleman was found dead. And it was a shock to me. I'm like, wow, dead, huh? Because he wasn't very old. Turns out he had got a job somewhere else. He had met with a young man later, late in the night. They were drinking, partying, doing what they do. And he tried to make a pass at this young man. The young man was thrown back by it and hit him and choked him and left him there unconscious. So he thought, turns out he wasn't unconscious. He was dead. Uh, initially, they tried to make it look like a race thing. And I mean, it looked, it, it, it looked pretty nasty. And this kid was young and he had a history of anger and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I could pretty much guarantee he had no, no relationship with God. But on one end, like I understood his defense mechanism. I don't believe anyone should die for that. Like, I don't believe that, you know, someone should have ended up dead for it, but um, it's what happened. And I ended up talking to someone that I know from the church that we had both met at. And this individual had asked me, so what happened between you two? And, you know, and I hadn't really told anyone, I, you know, other than a couple brothers in Christ and, you know, my, my best friend, like no one really knew what happened in that house, what went on. And I said, well, you know, I believe that he had many tendencies that he didn't show a lot of people. And because I didn't fall into to his, his desires and his trap, like he gave me the boot and I tried my best to put it past me and forgive him and move on and everything. But that's, that's kind of where we left it. This person tells me just to let you know, we know that he had an alcohol problem and that he had made passes at many men in the church and made many men feel very uncomfortable. People were going to the higher ups in the church and um, they may have helped him. They may have tried to put him in alcohol programs or whatever, or, you know, prayed for him, whatever it is. But fact of the matter is they still let him sing in the church, regardless of what was going on. I would know because I would see this stuff on social media and he was still struggling with all that stuff the whole time. So clearly it's a sad thing to know that he died innocent. Okay. Let's just lay it out the way it is. He died innocent, you know, but I really want to attack this from the angle of if the church leaders knew that this guy was having the issues that he was, why didn't they remove him? Well, I think there was great benefit for him being there and singing and, and, you know, the people pay, the people give money to the church, like the people show up for this stuff, they tithe and they give offering and, you know, and not very many people saying the way that this gentleman saying, from my understanding too, is that this gentleman was also telling me about other things that was going on in the church when I was living with them. So before he full on did everything he had done uh, in front of me and, and to me, you know, he was insinuating that there were certain people in leadership that were doing certain things as well when it comes to uh, uh, the sexual stuff amongst the, the same sex. I, I don't know how true it was, uh, but he, he dropped a few names on people that were doing that kind of stuff in the church. And it, a lot of them were close to the top at that church. So 
there may have been a lot of it going on already. I think that this gentleman was probably just getting careless. And I think you do that in sin. You know, I know that I've not to say I've been cleared of sin, <laughs> but I know that in my sin, like I would get comfortable with sin and then I get so careless in that sin. And I think that's kind of what happened to him as well. You know, he never really suffered any repercussion or consequence for any of these things, you know, so he, he continued to do so. For someone who's listening to this story and maybe they're in a church where they're seeing a lot of, and it may not be the homosexual side of things. It may not be the drinking, but they're seeing a lot of things that are happening within their church and they're going, something's wrong here. Whatever that thing is, what advice would you give to them? Well, I I say first and foremost, always have a great relationship with the Lord. I mean, the truth is, is the pastor is not God. Uh, we shouldn't go because we like the pastor. You know, if a pastor's there preaching the word of God, scripture, and like you're being fed from that, that's absolutely am- amazing. But we're not going to hold him at a, uh, you know, high on a pedestal. It's just not what we're going to do. Um, I believe that with my experience in that church, myself and a few of my brothers in Christ, we actually left that church um, because we saw the things that were going on. Plus, there's a spirit of discernment, like something is wrong here. And, and so we need to walk away from this. So I really say, you know, have a relationship with the Lord. I mean, your relationship doesn't come from f- so much from worship music or showing up on Sundays or Wednesday nights or listening to your pastor, anything of that sort. It's your one-on-one time with, with God. You know, that's what we need to be doing. I think the, the body of Christ needs to be praying and on their knees and in their word a lot more. The, the word is going to show you a lot of the stuff that's going on in the church that shouldn't be going on in the church. Uh, the spirit of God is going to pour into you and show you, Hey, this is not okay. You know? And so I think it all really starts with your relationship with Christ. Cause what's hard to attack is going to the higher ups with this kind of stuff, because if they know that it's going on and we've seen very famous churches uh, get away with it for a very long time, it all comes to light. But honestly, to be able to get out of that situation, because it's only hindering your spiritual health and your spiritual growth. As I sit back and I think about the subject of dealing with like spiritual abuse, and I mean, we could we could expand this not only to include the, the homosexual agenda, which, by the way, their goal is to infiltrate the churches and, and appears you know, like from your story, it's a clear example of what their goal is. They want to infiltrate the churches and they want to turn things to their benefit for lack of a better term. I remember, um, and I'm not going to name the city, but I remember a church that we went to for, for a time. And it was a fairly large church. And the pastor, you know, they were going to do this big 4th of July celebration. Okay. And the pastor in, in, uh, was, was asking for donations to help with it, which was fine. You know, it was for a few weeks, you know, hey, we need to fund this, this venture, that kind of thing. And then you know, and we were already looking at possibly becoming a member of this church. We were not, we were kind of guests and we were kind of investigating and that kind of thing. And it was, like I said, it was a large, large church. We go to this big 4th of July event and this pastor, keep in mind, this is supposed to be an outreach event. Okay. This is supposed to be to evangelize and reach out to people. Pastor spends 20 minutes preaching a thing on, 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 Hey, we need to pay for this thing, you know? And, between that and a few other things, you talk about the spirit of discernment. We realized that there was something wrong 
with that particular church. You know, I mean, there was something severely wrong. There were some foundations that were cracked and God told us to leave. I totally get that. I'll say this. I came out of a mega church and a lot of times they would abuse scripture on giving to the church, right? Um, They loved Malachi all day, using Malachi all day for you to pour into the church. And, you know, they would come out on stage, well, we have mouths to feed. We have lights to keep on. We have this. Like, they would guilt trip their congregation. And, um, you know, you're supposed to give with a cheerful heart is what Paul says in Corinthians. And so what happens within the church a lot of times, and, and now this is a much more broad situation because this happens more in the open than what happened to me is that they use people's emotions to get them to pour into the church. If you're a, a single mother of three and you're working a minimum wage job and the church is insisting that you still give 10%, like, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm truly not sure if, if you can take that approach with people. I'm not saying that if you don't use that money for good, that God will, will take care of you in return for taking care of somebody else. But the angles that these churches use sometimes to abuse their congregation into getting what they want financially is just horrible. And at the end of the day, like I'm looking at this church grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's, you know, doing all these extravagant and expensive things to the church and, and, and making it like, you know, it's like, it's not really truly necessary, but that's where their money's going just to make their church prettier. And not to mention like, the pastor's living at the top of the hill and his very expensive vehicle. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, a lot of that stuff's touch to wa- tough to watch as well, because uh, even though I think that you should be blessed as a pastor for, for delivering God's word, uh, that doesn't mean you should be driving a $150,000 vehicle um, and living in the biggest house on your block. I don't think that's what that means at all to remain humble and, and to live closer to the people and more like the people would be a, um, a little more um, Christ-like, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I you know, it's and, and and again, I'm not bashing on very large churches. I know that there are some large churches that that are doing that are doing trying their best to do God's work. I you know, I firmly that said, we what we are talking about is an abuse of uh, uh, well, not just. Um, of the of the homosexual community that is infiltrating the churches as depicted by your story, okay? Not just that, but we are entering into a situation where for the longest time, I think the greatest spiritual abuse that has infiltrated the church, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is the watering down of the gospel of Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, here's the deal about that. Well, first, I'm going to say, like, I don't even know if, you know, homosexuals had an agenda to come into our church and destroy it. I just know that this individual was a married man with three kids and portrayed himself as something, but had deep, dark secrets. And, and that went on. That was my experience. Um, as, and as far as your, your big church, you know, there's some great churches out there that still preach the gospel. But the problem is, is now they're creating this seeker-friendly gospel where it's almost like the church has become the world right? We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to tell biblical biblical truths anymore. We don't want to talk about any type of re- repentance. We don't want to talk about the re- realities of heaven and hell or, or, or Satan or the powers of Christ. Like you want to teach this. Basically, it's like this Christian pop psychology, a, a feel-good gospel 
uh, in the book of Timothy, it's spoken about, right? Uh, the tickling the ears type of service. But, but it's to draw the world in to be like, it's just another hangout spot. You know, it's just another place for us to get along and hang out. And because you go to church on Wednesday and Sunday and the preacher might throw one or two scriptures out there that, and those, those have even been watered down. Well, now I'm, I'm good with God, right? Like, <laughs> um, that's kind of what goes on too. And, and the church takes advantage of that. So not all, but the church does take advantage of that. How does someone go about finding a church that is not engaging in this stuff? And what do you, and, and, and how do you vet, for lack of a better term, the church that you're going to? That's all a process as well. So I believe this. I believe that when I first, and this is preference, so I'm sharing preference with you, is that when I, when I first came to Christ, I read the NIV Bible. It's probably the most watered-down, sugar-coated, broken, abused version of the Bible that's out there. It truly is. But it was very simplistic. It was very easy to read. And as I grew in Christ, like I, I, I just started going toward say the King James Bible is what I, I read now. Um, seems a little bit more complex, but at, at the end of the day, when you, when you get there, you're there and it's all good. Um, sometimes walking into a church and you're a, a fresh uh, Christian, a baby, baby Christian, maybe you need that encouragement to kind of get the ball rolling. But the reality is, is that you still have to be pursuing a relationship with Christ. You still need to be um, opening up your word because this is where you really grow right? It's through Christ. It's not through the church establishment. It's not through your preacher. I mean, that's not where all your growth is really going to come from. Your growth is going to be having a relationship with God through Christ. That's where it all comes. And a lot of that takes place when you open up the word. You know, my advice is to always kind of be aware, pay attention to what's going on. As you read scripture, make sure that it lines up with the things that are going on in your church. I mean, no church is perfect. I get that. I know a lot of Christian brothers that no longer go to church because church has been so diluted. And I get that. And I see a lot of that. The church that I found is more scripture-based. Like the pastor's up there. He's preaching line for line scripture, right? Breaking it down. And, and I believe that's what, it, what it's supposed to be about. Now, you'll find churches that they will take everyday living and apply it to some piece of scripture. And that's kind of how they... Um, I guess it's like a practically practical living gospel or something, you know, um, I just attended a church yesterday where they did a lot of that. And, you know, for me and my walk, it's just not for me. You know, I think that when you're a baby, you drink milk and when you're an adult, you eat meat. And I think that there's a lot of milk churches out there. There's a lot of dairy farm churches out there that just want to give, give the milk. We are not in any way saying that just because you don't agree with everything that the church teaches, because with the church that I attend and, and, and Mike attends, we don't agree with everything, but they are biblically based. Okay. Um, you know, but that said, I don't agree with everything that they teach, but that, does that mean that they are not a solid church? Would I not recommend them? No, of course I would. I would recommend them. Any day of the week, because, you know, they, they preach Christ and him crucified and they go like verse by verse and line by line. So we are not saying that you have to agree with everything the church teaches. What we are saying is if you're dealing with a church that is either a seeker sensitive or b engaging in spiritually abusive uh, practices or tactics, that's something you might want to consider. 
Yeah, well, and and sometimes as a new Christian, those things are hard to detect, right? Um, but once again, I I think it just really comes down to a heavy pursuit of of Christ and and having a relationship with the Father through Him. Christianity has gotten so far from actually being Christian that pe- people aren't even aware of what's going on anymore, and so it's probably really hard to be a a new Christian. It's just like, it's hard to be a kid in this day and age, right? Everything is so deceptive and, and, and people are being manipulated and, you know, the same thing's happening in the church. And, and for me, like church is an extension of the relationship with, that I have with God in my own home, right? Like church is not my God going there. doesn't fix anything for me. It's just that going there, I get to fellowship. I get to share, I get to pour into others. Can I share quick little cool story that happened. Yeah, sure. Be my guest. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, w- I was going to this church, the one that I attend now, and and I had already had a meeting with the young adults pastor, and it was an absolutely amazing experience. Like He was such a, a wonderful, loving guy and has a great heart for the Lord. I'm walking into the church. First time I ever went to young adults, pastor walks up to me, grabs my hand. He says, Rob, I need you. That young man over there wants to commit suicide. I need you to talk to him. And um, I'm like, and I'm like, okay, Lord, like no warm up. I just walk in the door. <laughs> like, you know, you're not, you're not even going to let me walk into any worship music or anything. Like, you know, and I go over to this kid and, you know, I'm talking to him, I'm sharing with him, I'm pouring it, loving to him. And it's not even like, it's not even like you're opening up scripture and preaching the word. It's you're showing Christ's love to this individual. And, and, and this is where I'm very grateful for everything that I've been through. I'm like, he, he brings up a topic and I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. Boom. I've been there. And I start explaining how that feels to him. And he's like, dude, that's exactly how I feel. I didn't think anyone felt that way. Cause you know, these kids are feeling really alone. Now this kid was only like 17 years old. We get about 30, 40 minutes into the conversation. And he's like, I just want to let you know, I had a gun to my head and I was going to pull the trigger and something told me to go to church tonight. Well, the church that I was attending was having young adults on a Thursday night. And you know, most churches only have services on Wednesday nights. So he had went to three churches. They were all closed. He shows up to this fourth church and I could see him. He, I mean, he must've been just almost over it, right? He shows up to this church. I walk in the door and I have a very similar testimony to what he's living through right now. And from my understanding, he is still attending this church and going to that youth group. The importance of that story was like, sometimes even when a church isn't pouring a bunch into you, you still have something to give to it. And, and there are some true uh, individuals seeking God somewhere. And the only place they know how to do it is in the church because they're just, they have very little faith, no faith. They're, you know, they, they just don't know, right? They think that God lives in the church walls. Right. And I believe a lot of times we could be called to go inside the church. And to, um, you know, be a light onto others as well. So I just felt like I had to share that. Thank you for letting me share that. No, no problem. I mean, to me, that's that's living life on life. That's living out Christ's um, command. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And sometimes you meet a person right in their darkest hour. And I'm reminded in, is it? I think it's Second Corinthians one where where uh, Paul says, you know, we comfort others with the comfort comfort that we have received from God. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, and that's all it is. Like you're trying to be everything that God has ever done for me. Cause with the sincerest, sincerest convictions, I could just be like, yo, dude, I get it. I've been in your shoes, but you know what? No matter what's happened to you up to this point, God loves you. He really does. And then you start telling your stories and it's like, so you're telling me after everything you've been through, <laughs> all this garbage, you still believe in God? Absolutely. I absolutely do. Because I don't blame him for any of that stuff. I just don't. But I'm grateful that I'm here in this moment. I'm able to share it with you. And that's what it's all about, right? You know, to me, when I, when I, when I hear a story like that, to me, that is, that is exactly what we are called to do. We are called. It's not a, well, maybe if you don't mind, if you have the time, it is a command. Go, go make disciples. It wasn't a request. And so I think, yeah, it was not a request. It really wasn't. And so let, let, you know, let me ask you this. If there's someone that may hear, be hearing your story and maybe they're caught in a really dark place, maybe they attend a church, maybe they're attending a church and they're kind of wearing that mask. And they're doing their thing, but they're really caught in a really dark place, whether it be homosexuality, drug addiction, maybe they're considering suicide. What would you say to them? Uh, don't give up. You know, don't give up. And, and I know that those words are easier said than done. I know this, that I attempted to give up in a moment and I was graciously given another opportunity to live this life, but it took a lot to get back to this place. The decisions you can, that you make not only hurt you, but they hurt people around you. There's people that do love you that you just don't realize love you. You can be the difference maker in someone else's life. If you can just give it to God, develop a relationship with him, get connected with the right people. And sometimes even the right people are hard to find, but pray for those things. You know, um, nothing is a light switch in this life. It's just not going to come to you like that as much as we'd all love for that to happen. I look at my whole life and, 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 you know, from my previous testimony that I was molested when I was young, beat up, you know, drugs, alcohol, suicide attempts, really bad relationships, like all that stuff. I look back on my whole life and all the negative that happened to me. And yet I still find God's grace in all of it because now I get to stand here and I get to share those experiences with other people. Um, those same experiences where other people feel very alone, where they feel like it only happens to them. I was really good at putting on a front. I was really good on putting on a mask, smiling and acting like there was nothing wrong and joking and having fun when I was hurting deep down inside. And I buried it with the drugs, the alcohols, and the bad relationships. And just start recognizing the signs, you know, really give it to the father. You know, um, I know a lot of times that's hard to do because you're like, well, why would God let me live life this way? Or why would he allow for these things to happen to me? And my, my truth, my reality was this, is that how much was I giving to him? How much was I turning to him? How much was I trying to walk in his ways? I wasn't. So how much of my life can I blame on him? So he was very graceful. And yes, even in the midst of his goodness, like bad things happen to people because sin is in this world and other people are impacted by that sin. And you may be the whipping boy of that sin, but that's not what God wants for you. That's not what God has for you. Um, and a lot of those times you can walk away for those, 
from those situations and find help elsewhere. But it's not always easy, you know, and I know that. But because things weren't easy in my rehabilitation process, I got to learn a lot and I developed a stronger relationship with him. So don't give up. Don't give up. Earnestly seek him with your whole heart. And I know he'll he'll be there. He'll show up. I can honestly, I mean, there's a lot to be said. I have, There's a lot we could probably dig into, but I want to kind of just echo what you said in the sense of, um, guys, I've been there. I shared in a previous podcast my own attempt uh, at suicide. And I can tell you right now, God will meet you. He'll meet you right in that dark and ugly place. He'll meet you and he'll pull you out. But you got to be willing to let him. You know, that's just, that's just, you've got to be willing to let him. You got to start where, where you're at. You know, and don't expect that, well, you have to clean yourself up before you go to him. No, uh, uh-uh. it's, it's a, you know what? God, I need you and I'm a real mess. And it, you know, if you, if you come to him as you are, he will meet you right in that place, but he will not leave you in that place, but you got to make the choice. So with that, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. I mean, thanks for letting me come on again and, and share another one of my experiences. And I hope that, you know, uh, that experience touches someone's heart to make a different decision, to accept the Lord, um, to make changes in their life, whatever it, whatever it may be. I just hope that that's what comes out of this for whomever may receive this. Amen. Amen. Guys, if, if you know someone that is struggling in one of the areas that we have touched on today, would you share this episode with them? I would love to hear from them. This is this is a labor of love. I do this because, man, I want to reach people. I want to see the kingdom uh, fortified. But we can't be fortified if we're not dealing with the skeletons behind the walls. So this has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. If this has been helpful to you, would you guys please uh, share it? And uh, if you're new to this, there's a little subscribe button. If you click it, then you will not miss any, a single episode. Thank you very much. I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.